Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Roger Goodell will be speaking shortly at the NFL owners' meetings. OutKick 360 rolls on. We will uh, give you the latest on that later in the hour uh, as he begins to answer some questions. John Harbaugh, head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, has signed a three-year contract extension onto his current deal. It was set to expire after this upcoming season, so the three years now takes him through 2025. And the Philadelphia Eagles, I think a lot of fans are going to be happy with this. The Eagles are bringing back their Kelly Green throwback jerseys starting in 2023. The, the old school oh, ones that I, should I have never the, gone away, the just Randall, like the Chargers. The Randall Cunningham, Reggie White, yes. Eagles jerseys. Yes, and I best. hope that includes the helmet as well. Uh, Chad, I mean, it, it, it looks phenomenal. Oh, it's and the best. It's, should have never it's gone no, away from that. It's a no-brainer. It's coming back in 2023. Hutton, can I talk about conspiracy theorists for a second, please? Yes, because we're waiting on Matt Miyoko to sit yeah. down with PK. Once, once he sits down, we'll go uh, down to Palm Beach, not West Palm Beach, <laughs> where Paul Kowarski <laughs> is currently located. Um, and David Reed, uh, the chairman of the board, may still fall in this camp. So he, he feel free to chime in, Reed, if you would like. Um, so Will Smith slaps Chris Rock. Yes. Immediately people are asking the question, rightfully so, is this a work? Is this all staged? Is this a gimmick? Okay. Now further evidence comes out. The LAPD speaks and says, we contacted Mr. Rock and he declined to press charges, so it's a, d- a dead issue. The Academy issues a statement. That's still not enough for conspiracy theorists that believe wholeheartedly that this was all fake and it was all staged, okay? The next night, Will Smith issues an apology to Chris Rock on Instagram last night. Full two-page apology, okay? Still not enough. The Academy decides they're going to launch an inquiry into the issue and decide if they need to sanction or do something with Will Smith because of what went down. Still not enough. What will it take for people to believe this was real? And I'll frame the question this way, okay? Let's go down the rabbit hole here of conspiracy theory that you think the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock was completely fake. And I've seen all the photos of, you know, his his face out and Will Smith leaning in. Which it was. All all of that, yeah, where he's leaning in thinking that he's going to come, you know, play slap him or whatever, uh, which I think he probably did at the time. All right, let's, let's, let's play this out. So... Who benefits, okay? Jesse Smollett fakes an attack. All right, that's one thing I get back. Well, it's happened before. You know, people have, have, well, there was a clear motive there. He was trying to bring light to racism and become a martyr for racism. We know what he was doing. By the way, that's been a meme, as Jesse Smollett believes that Will Smith also slapped him. But we know what he's doing. Okay, the other one is, all right, who does it benefit? Well, Chris Rock, suddenly, the average price for tickets for his new stand-up tour is $460. Chris Rock benefits, right? Okay. I, I'm willing to go with you there. This actually helped his career. Why would Will Smith agree to this? How did this benefit Will Smith in any way? 
Will Smith has issued an, on the what should have been one of the best nights of his life, by the way, winning a Best Actor Oscar. He had to apologize on stage. He's faced a ton of criticism for this. He has since apologized to Chris Rock. Uh, he's being investigated now by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences from this. And <laughs> if you're saying this was all a work, wouldn't the broadcast be in on it? For the ratings, oh, for people would, to see it, would, yeah, the, they then would why? Be then it. again, why? If we're going by motivation here, what would motivate ABC to pause and delete everything after the slap when the curse word started flying? Do you see how none of that really lines up? Well, they would have to bleep it out on network TV. But if, if they it, were if, ex- the if they flying. were expecting everything to happen, right? Wouldn't they let it play out? They would bleep it out. They wouldn't air it live if he's cussing like that. Do you believe it's fake? Um, I, you, I, you are the uh, the adamant conspiracy theorist amongst well, us. Well, I don't believe in all of show. them. I don't believe in all of them. I believe that you know Apple sabotages their iPhones to get you uh, and does that digitally to get you to go buy a new iPhone. Yeah, I wholeheartedly buy that. Um, do I think he slapped him? He did. Uh, do I think that he? He knew exactly what he was doing. Absolutely. Um, and for You think it, he was in his right mind? For it to be... Re- absolutely. He turned around and went right back to his seat and was allowed to continue to stay throughout the entire show because the Academy, who's investigating this, was handing him their me- mega award later, oh, and they knew no, it. L- listen to what the Academy said. This, it gets even worse. They said... I. I, I you will not believe this, Hutton. In the story about the investigation, they said that we wanted to do something <laughs> to restrain Mr. Smith or talk to him or escort him out, but we were dispersed around the arena and around oh, the amphitheater. So they were in different corners, so they couldn't all gather. Different members of leadership were in different corners of the venue, so they couldn't gather to do anything about it. In the 45 minutes after the slap, and before he was awarded the Oscar. Anyway, continue. The, 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 the biggest reason why it was real is Chris Rock's reaction to it and how he can barely uh, read off a teleprompter afterwards. And this guy is very composed and rehearsed and knows exactly what he's going to say for any butt of the joke. Um, uh, the best conspiracy I've heard is, based on their history, they have um, he, he's gone after Jada Pickett-Smith quite a bit in his history. Yeah. And uh, at dinner last night, someone proposed the idea that he was trying to bury the hatchet. And in order to do so, Will Smith said, okay, you want to bury the hatchet and make a lighthearted joke and I'm going to come up there and smack you on national television. And you bury the hatchet that way. Yeah, I, I don't think, I, I don't buy it. I think Will Smith lost well, his temper, just like he said. I also don't buy that the Academy emotional. of Motion Pictures are, are investigating no, it. No, like, of course That means not. nothing. That holds no water whatsoever. Uh, of, co- of course not. But the fact that they're issuing a statement, if they again, if it was a work and everyone knew it was going to happen and they were in on it, they would know. And if Will Smith well, and Chris Rock were in on it. Not a lot of people were in on it. I will say that. They wouldn't, they, he wouldn't be apologizing for it. I fully believe that Will Smith lost his cool, just like he said in the apology, he got overly emotional. He walked up. He slapped Chris Rock. I think he, the one time that he thought in a rational mind was when he walked up there and did not punch him and instead smacked him the way he did and walked back, lost his cool again, dropped two F-bombs on television at Chris Rock, 
And I think he probably, in a euphoric state of winning the Oscar, you know, he went and got jiggy with it at the after party and danced with Jada Pinkett Smith and looked normal. And I think he probably woke up the next day and really regretted that that was going to be the talk of the night. He went through that quite the range of emotions, and it wasn't just between that well, sitting and, down and getting up and giving a speech. I look, mean, he was hugging Questlove like the guy, you know. Let's talk about the range of emotions, too, after the slap. I mean, he goes up there in his speech and defends what he just did, talking about, is my God-given, this is what I was sent on earth to do, is defend my family. Right. And be a, you know, a defender of my family, just like Richard Williams. And he's crying, talking about it. And then the next day, he issues an apology to Chris Rock. Well, and the next breath mentions love and peace and all this. Yes. Again, it, it was bizarre, uh, his actions. And, you know, bizarre of uh, the Academy of Motion Pictures to sit there and do nothing about oh, it. Oh, totally. But then release totally. a statement acting like they were too busy to do so. Well, the, the statements from you, I'll, I'll agree with you there. The statements from them are ridiculous uh, the next day. That they were, well, not that they were too busy, they were dispersed all over the Dolby Theater and they couldn't get to Will Smith to do anything. I mean, the entire place was so shocked. Everyone, I feel like, was paralyzed uh, in the moment and, and did nothing and really said nothing. Uh, Roger Goodell on the NFL's investigation into Deshaun Watson. We're looking at this seriously. The league is trying to determine if Watson violated personal conduct policy. And then he added, there is no timetable on the decision. We will seek to get to the bottom of the facts. That from Roger Goodell. Uh, we are about 15 minutes away from uh, Casey Alexander joining the show. We'll get into uh, the final four breakdown, but first we head down to Florida. Matt Mayoko, friend of the show, sitting and standing by. Well, you can't do both. He's sitting down, I believe, with Paul Koharski. Thanks, Hot. Here with Matt. We go way, way back. Maybe my first biggest professional friend who hated me. Like, uh, like all of the Oakland Tribune people when I arrived in, uh, in Oakland and really... Let's, let's uh, face it, you're an acquired taste. Yes, yes. So how much was I hated by the staff of the Oakland Tribune when I arrived on the Raiders' beat? Uh, you were hated to the degree of here comes the outsider who's taking the plum job. And so, yeah, there was a fair amount of jealousy. So the boss did me no favors because he tucked me up like I was... Uh, Grantland Rice. Yeah, but you are like Grantland Rice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, therefore, like Grantland Rice. Matt works for NBC Sports Bay Area. Is that not said to be the best of the NBC area? Yeah, there's voting? really no question. I mean, guys from NBC Sports Philadelphia, from Boston, from Chicago, they'll tell you something different. But generally speaking, I think us in San Francisco believe that uh, we are the, or not, not believe, we know that we're the best. You've been on the Niners 27 years. What was the best era? Tom Sula, Singletary. <laughs> uh, Chip Kelly was pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the last, of, last year of Harbaugh was a lot of fun. A lot of really happy people in the locker room and coaching staff. Uh, we've seen some, I've covered some pretty bad times, including. Dennis Erickson for a couple of years. Um, and this now this is a pretty good group. You know, they're it's they've been in the NFC Championship game uh, twice in two years, Super Bowl once, and it's a good. Uh, though I haven't been in the locker room for a couple of years now, but it's a good locker room, good group to work with. So this is about as good as it's been in a while. Who are you closest with of those former coaches? Which is my backwards way of asking which one hates you the most. Oh, okay. Uh, you know what? Steve Mariucci and I had our little battles. When we were uh, when we were working, you know, 
with each other, I guess. But uh, since he's you know gone the media route, we've we've bonded, and so we're we're good now. But um, generally speaking, you know, I and I think you can relate to this as long as you're like honest and consistent, and if you say something or write something that's that a, the coach or a player would take as negative, as long as you're there the next day and you're able to hear the conversation, right? I mean, if you're there to like take it and then explain or just have a good dialogue, you always end up on good terms. I think even Ken Wisenhunt would greet me okay. And that was the, uh-huh. the worst one I had. So what's going on with quarterback with the Niners now? How close is this uh, a team that went to the NFC championship game to being a true contender to get back to the Super Bowl. Who's going to quarterback it? Is it obviously going to be Lance? And and why is Garoppolo still on the roster? Is it all about the shoulder? Yeah, so well, first off, is this team ready to be a, a Super Bowl contender? You know, I was just thinking about this the other day, is that who in the NFC has improved? You know, right? <laughs> I mean, you look at the AFC and there's this, this arms race going on. And then in the NFC, uh, the Buccaneers are another year older. You know, the Rams lost some people in free agency. They're still going to be very good. Uh, you know, the Packers get Aaron Rodgers back. But I think the 49ers have as good a chance as anybody, depending on what happens at quarterback. Not necessarily what happens at quarterback. I think, as you mentioned, I mean, it's probably going to be Trey Lance. I'd be really surprised if it's not. But it's then in Trey Lance's second year, his first year as a starter, how's he going to perform? So what's going on there? 49ers felt like they were going to be able to trade Jimmy Garoppolo and get a nice price in return, draft picks. Then a week before this, actually it was a week of the scouting combine, he decides he's going to have surgery on his shoulder, and that comes with a four-month rehabilitation period. 49ers were in contact with numerous teams, a lot of quarterback needy teams this offseason, and there was genuine interest from what I could understand. And as soon as the decision was made to have surgery, four-month rehab, crickets on the phone lines. And so one thing I found, Paul, through 27 years of covering the NFL, teams generally want quarterbacks who have full use of their throwing shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't throw a football and you're a quarterback in the NFL. Not good. Not good at all. So that's where they are right now. Now teams have filled their – most of the teams have filled their quarterback spots. And the 49ers are in a position where they haven't gotten any solid offers. And their belief is, I don't know if their belief is, their plan is hold on to them, get healthy, see what happens. If some if something shakes free, they can make a trade. And they do want to make a trade, clear the way for Trey Lance to take over as a starter, clear $25 million off the cap. But right now they're in a situation where there's no real need to panic. If they want to do something with Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, they can do it later, but right now it's just status quo and see if something develops. Do they have a third, or once they make a move, would they need to go get a backup? So they signed Nate Sudfeld to a fully guaranteed $2 million contract. So they did that a couple of weeks ago, which is the signal a team that's, you know, kind of in salary cap, in a salary cap situation to sign the guy who was your third string last year and on the practice squad and probably made, I don't even know what he made, probably like. or something to sign him to a fully guaranteed $2 million contract. That tells you all you need to know about what they thought about their quarterback situation. So the 49ers are saying that they can keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the team through the season. 
I just don't think it's realistic. At the same time, what are they supposed to say? They're not going to say, hey, you know, we're going to release Jimmy Garoppolo because then any team like Carolina would have to look at this and go, well, if you're going to release him, then why would we even consider a trade? So that's where they are right now. Were you sold on Lance when they make the move? Were you sold? Are you sold on Lance now having seen a little bit? Yeah, seeing a little bit. I, I like him. He's a hardworking guy. He has what it takes, but you really never know, right? You really never know until you see the guy play. But I, I'm from the head, the shoulders up, I, I like what he brings to the table. His accuracy needs some work. He's a great athlete. He's got to learn when to run, when to slide, when to you know stay in the pocket, when to you know break his hands and go off running, all that stuff. But uh, from everything I can gather, the 49ers are pretty optimistic with what they saw behind the scenes. And what they saw behind the scenes last year was two starts. His The second half of his second game, week 17, was pretty good. But they liked what they saw behind the scenes as he ran the scout team throughout. All right, so we're in our mid-20s. We live in California. Uh-huh. Yep. We decide, hey, let's go on vacation after yep. football. Yep. So the first year, I arranged a vacation, correct? You did. We, we went to, go the to the Bahamas. Yep. One I arranged a the lovely beach. vacation. One step was the theme of this yep. vacation. We yep. went one, one step, step boys, from the beach. From the beach. Yep. We stepped out of our place, and we were on the beach. Yep. Perfect. Nice beach. We rode this shuttle to town. We met these lovely girls. We had a big time. Drank a lot of red stripe. Red stripe. Really, outside of dingoes, which we were a little concerned with these dingoes, and I didn't know what dingoes were at the time, but they were all over the place. It was really a picture-perfect vacation. Oh, is there more to this story? But then the yeah. second year, it was your turn to play in the vacation. Yeah. And there were some uh, logistical errors. Uh, what were some of the logistical errors you made in playing well, in this vacation? I may or may not have booked a resort in Key West. Sounded like a good idea. That was clothing optional. And what was the sexual orientation of the people that stayed at this? Oh, did I not mention we were in Key West? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I booked a clothing optional resort. Clothing optional gay resort. Not that there's anything wrong with that, except that we're heterosexual and we wanted a room with two beds. Yeah. So we check in, we go to our room, there's one bed. We go to the counter and we say, yeah, we need a room with two beds. The guy goes, what's what's, what's the problem? What's the problem? Yeah. Then we go out to the pier, into the ocean. Everyone's naked. Matt is having to. Well, not everybody. Explain. I don't think. <laughs> I, I, I certainly wasn't. Humorously, I thought about like buying a Speedo as the gag to walk out the first time like we we're going to the beach and come out of the bathroom in a Speedo, like yeah. as a gag. Yeah. Wouldn't have been the least bit funny in these circumstances because people were sure. wearing far less than Speedo. Yes. So All true. We go the uh, first day. We're going down to uh, to have drinks. We stop. We like book, uh, you know, parasailing or whatever. And the guy says, "So where are you staying?" I take it from well, there. it's it's now the now defunct Atlantic Shores. Defunct? Yes, it's no longer there. <laughs> the Atlantic he, Shores he Resort. Yes. So we were there, and uh, I believe the guy said, "Oh, you're staying at the Atlantic Shores Resort." That's a very nice place if you can get past all the naked men with pierced uh, private parts. Yeah. We clean this up for. Yeah. Video. Yeah. Well, so that was the second of uh, our two vacations. 
because of the logistical problems. There were no dingoes in Key West. And I guess after that, and I haven't really fully understood this until this very moment. After that, after year two is like, we're we're not going to trust each other anymore. Well, I think I lived in Houston. We did have Sam's boat in Houston Uh when there's another incident that we can't talk about. And then I lived in Tennessee. We might have had girlfriends, which was something we were aspiring to at that stage of life. But Matt is not a guy you want booking a hotel room for him. Who do you like the best in the AFC? Stack your three favorite AFC teams. Three favorite AFC teams. Um, I will go Buffalo, number one. Uh, Let's see. I just think the AFC West is going to just beat up on each other. So I'm not even going to include an AFC West team. Can understand that. Um, and then I guess you know what? I, I actually think Cincinnati's in for a rude awakening. I think I'm gonna I think they're gonna fall off. I'm just gonna go Buffalo. Just Buffalo. Yeah. His three favorite AFC teams are Buffalo. Are Buffalo. You are currently waiting on uh Jed York. Yes. Describe they, what it's like. Did you get the see. did you get oh, the text? Yeah, it looks like uh yeah, it looks like I need to all right, he's yeah. going to see Jed Work. I'm uh, Jed Work. Yeah, or Jed York, the Jed CEO. York. Tom Asula owner Work. That's uh, why he's one and done. Matt Mayoko, NBC Sports Bay Area. Don't miss him, but don't let him book your vacation. Back to you guys, Paul, and thank you, Matt Mayoko. Uh, always great to catch up with a friend of the show there, Matt Mayoko of uh, NBC Bay Area. Uh, we will uh, have Casey Alexander in just a moment. Time to break down the Final Four. From the D1 coach's perspective, we've got that straight ahead first, though. The USFL kicks off April 16th. Saturday, April 16th is the debut of the new USFL. And you can see all of the games on some networks, either through Fox or through NBC. Or you can attend the games. Tickets, adult tickets, $10. Kids under the age of 15, free. And you can have three kids accompany any adult ticket for a full day pass. That means if there is a triple header, for instance, there is one on April 17th or the week after, there's a double header on Saturday, the 24th. You can go to both games or the triple header, come and go as you please. 10 bucks plus you're able to bring three kids on that $10 ticket. For more information, visit theusfl.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Putting with Row with you. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody, downtown Nashville, our location. You can join us the next time you're in Music City, or you can uh, check them out online, 6thandpeabody.com. We roll on with some perspective on the Final Four with Casey Alexander, the head coach of the Belmont Bruins, who is nice enough to join us on today's show. Coach, great to see you. Hope everything is uh, going great on your side of town. We're making it just fine. Uh, glad to be with you guys. All right. So uh, we started the show on Monday, Chad and I did, by saying we don't mind the Blue Blood Final Four. As a coach of a non-Blue Blood program, do you cringe at that when you hear people say that? Or do you say, okay, 
Duke Caroline on the Final Four is pretty cool. Yeah, it, it doesn't affect me either way, honestly. I, mean, I like this Final Four matchup. If you had asked me in each individual game on uh, Saturday and Sunday who I wanted to win, it probably would have been these four teams. I did not want to see Arkansas. I did not want to see Houston. I did not want to see St. Peter's, and I did not want to see Miami. So I like it just fine. Tell us your, your reaction to what St. Peter's did. And do you – I mean, I think any program – uh, that's that's looking up, going, man. I would love to make a run like that. You get hot at the right time, and, and the way they played, can you? Can your style? Can can anyone at that level now look at that and say we can mirror that in the month of March? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's uh, it's what dreams are made of. But you you look at a St. Peter's team that, you know, they didn't even win their regular season. You know, they're they're yeah. three games behind Iona. Uh, in their conference and, and finish second. Uh, but then they win their tournament, which, you know, is what mid-majors and low-majors have to do. Uh, and then and then the rest is history. You know, for them to beat Kentucky and Murray State and Purdue, three top 20 teams all within a nine-day span, uh, be the first team ever. I mean, you, when you're talking about being the first team to ever do something, that's pretty special. Yeah, it, it, you're right, Coach, in that a lot of times when you see a team go on a run, I think about some Belmont teams in the past that you know lost four or five games all year. This Murray State team that St. Peter's beat lost two games the entire season. They start winning games at tournament, and, and you hear analysts say, well, they won 32 games you know, in the regular season and in their postseason. This is no big surprise. I think St. Peter's, more than any team I can remember, showed the true randomness of sport, and especially this sport at times, because none of it made sense. I mean, I, I look back on their run and I look at their roster – and none of it made any sense with who they were beating and how they were beating them. Yeah, I agree. And it's the beauty of our game, and it's, it literally is the reason why we call it March Madness. I mean, in basketball, as you guys know, a 40-minute game, you know, as long as the teams are reasonably close, uh, anything can happen. Uh, you know, you look back at last year, you know, Oral Roberts is in the Sweet 16. They didn't win their league either. You look back – However many years ago it was, I think I guess it was 2014 when Florida Gulf Coast was the first team to make it to the Sweet 16. Mercer won the A-Sun that year, you know. So uh, it speaks to parity, but it also speaks, you know, to the fact that there's a lot of good players out there and, and literally anything can happen when you get an NCAA tournament. We want to get your opinion on these four teams remaining uh, here in just a minute, but I, I want to ask you about uh, transfers and the transfer portal, and this is something that, that has hit your roster this year. And Belmont was always one of those programs that seemed immune to this with guys that you would bring in and stay four years and graduate and be great contributors to the school and to your program and win a lot of games. Uh, but things are different now uh, with, with transfer exemptions where you can go anywhere you want uh, around college basketball. And we've seen a lot of it. We've seen the Power Five high major teams supplement with two or three guys or more to add to their roster. We've seen it. Uh, you know, at all levels where you can bring in guys. How difficult is it? How has it changed the game for you, Coach, in terms of not necessarily how you coach, but how you manage rosters, how you make decisions in recruiting with everything? Yeah, it's really different, and it's very difficult. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have great concern over where we're headed, especially for schools at our level. Um, you know, we had four transfers in 18 years uh, prior to this year, which is – you know, I'd say that beats the next school by 10 or 15, uh, you know, but but it has hit us two out of our last three seasons. We've lost really important players to our team. 
you know, I think, I think the ability to go play somewhere right away is the biggest impact, the biggest reason why you're seeing that in the past. Maybe we had a player that, you know, he was on the fence, but when, when he knew he had to go sit out somewhere else for a year before he could play, he chose to stay at Belmont. But now, you know, when you see the green grass on the other side and you know you don't have to be patient and wait, you know, it's a lot easier for those guys to jump ship. And then it's become so popular that, you know, power five guys are literally recruiting off of our teams, um, you know, throughout the year. And it's, and it's become the thing to do for a player to put his name in the transfer portal. It's almost a cool thing for a player to do these days, which is um, a real shame in my opinion. Well, and I don't know that everyone leaves, but I look down today and every 15 minutes I, I see a Jeff Goodman or Matt Norlander or some college basketball writer I follow tweeting about a different Murray State star that's entered the portal. A uh, guy averaging 18 points a game, then a guy averaging 15 a game. And I'm looking at all of them and immediately thinking about okay, what SEC school could use these guys right away that could help them next year? Uh, it's odd to see how common this has become. And I know that a, a coaching change was involved in this one, but what is your reaction when you see stories like that with what's happening at Murray State today? Yeah, it's almost it's going to be impossible almost with coaching changes to keep players there. Uh, and, and you're right, we don't know at this point in time how many of those guys that have put their name into the portal may eventually take it back out and decide to stay at Murray State. Uh, you know, but I've been I've been really surprised at their exodus. I knew some of those guys were going to leave. Tevin Brown's going to go to the NBA. Uh, K.J. Williams is going to go to the NBA, or he will be in the portal. But there have been a few others that have surprised me, especially because Steve Prohm is in his second tour of duty at Murray State. Everybody knows what they're getting with Steve. He's a great guy. He's a great coach. Things will be done the same way. So I'm a little surprised that they've had so many names. Uh, but again, it's concerning, you know, and the other part of it is the NIL and, you know, which you guys are well aware of. I mean, the fact that, you know, that the power fives and the big East guys like that are so much farther along in that category than the rest of us, it's just going to make it literally impossible to keep players um, you know, in our place unless we're paying them well and through the NIL. Casey Alexander, our guest, he's the head coach at Belmont. They are headed to the Missouri Valley Conference this fall. Uh, and there are a lot of discussion about conference tournaments and the impact or the lack thereof on the seedings and the pairings for the by the the committee. You know, it, it seems like it, they don't pay much attention to the major conference tournaments. But meanwhile, your conference tournaments certainly mean quite a bit <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things. And the OVC and moving on to the Missouri Valley. Uh, so I I think we had this you know this overriding sweep of well the conference tournaments don't mean that much. Well, they do, but for uh, conferences beneath the ones that are playing on, you know, Saturday and Sunday of the NCAA selection show. Yeah, it's really hard to believe. You know, I think it was Friday uh, before the selection show on Sunday this year when I heard Dan Gavitt or whoever it was uh, mention that, yeah, you know, we have the first nine seeds all in place, you know, as far <laughs> as we know who they are. Now they could shift a little bit, but we know who they are, you know, and that's two days before, you know, selection Sunday and with plenty of games still out there to be played. So, yeah, if I was, you know, just like Rick Barnes said at Tennessee, I mean, it, it makes you scratch your head and say, why in the world are we even doing this? You know, and the answers are obvious, but at the same time, you know, you would like to think that what you do that weekend would have some bearing on what your seating is going to be because we're all, no matter whether you're Tennessee and you knew you were going to be in the, in the NCAA tournament in January or you're Belmont and you were trying to get into it on the last weekend of the season, we're all playing for the NCAA tournament. And everything that you can do to improve your seed should be taken into account and winning the SEC tournament merits that to say the least. Belmont head coach Casey Alexander, our guest on Outkick 360. 
Casey, when you look at, let's talk about these teams down the Final Four. When you look at North Carolina and see this tournament performance and what they did to Duke in the final regular season game, do you see a team that is now playing true to form or a team that is overachieving because they weren't this team the majority of the regular season? Have they figured it out or are they playing and punching a little bit above their weight right now in this tournament? Yeah, they, they, a little bit of both. I mean, they figured it out. It, you can't mistake what they've done. They've won 10 out of 11. Uh, they've won five in a row. You know, the win at Duke and Coach K's final game and senior night and Cameron Indoor was, you know, a phenomenal performance, uh, you know. And then what they've done in the tournament. I mean, you know, they beat Marquette by 32 points. Uh, they're up by 25, I think it was, against Baylor with 10 minutes to go before – and a near epic collapse, uh, you know, and then they handle St. Peter. So three out of their four games in the NCAA tournament have, you know, have, have hardly been, well, the Baylor game with it a little bit of an exception, but they've had the clearest road uh, into the final four, the easiest path as a, in reflection as you look back. So they're for real, uh, you know, they've got the talent. They always have the talent. They're finding a way to put it together. Uh, you know, they only play six guys, uh, but the five that are out there on the floor for the majority of the time are really, really good players. And then you, uh, from the Duke perspective, Coach, uh, we know what happened uh, the last time these two teams met at Cameron Indoor. Uh, which side would you want to be on on this? The team that you know will not be caught by surprise and, and maybe has a counterpunch now that they didn't have, talking about Duke, or UNC that is riding all the momentum? Yeah, this is one of those that as a coach, you know, I mean, if, you, if you've got to worry about that, perspective or you got to worry about you know how to motivate your guys or what the psychological effects are going to be in the final four then you're in the wrong place I mean these I think both of these teams are going to be their best uh you know and um you got a lot to play for obviously I'm fascinated by the matchup can't believe it's the first time that it's ever happened in the final four uh or in the NCAA tournament I should say Uh, and you think about it you know all that's in place here I mean coach K's final game perhaps uh, Hubert Davis's first final four a North Carolina team that wasn't even going to be in the tournament two or three weeks prior to, you know, March Madness beginning. It's just, it's got a lot of storylines, um, you know, the least of which is, not the least of which is, it's just the rivalry to begin with. You know, Kentucky got old uh, this season. You look across college basketball and it's kind of bucking the trend of the teams loading up on one and done guys, the programs that can get them. And you see teams getting more veteran. This sounds funny to say, but, Duke's kind of a throwback uh, with all the one-and-done guys, right? I mean, I, I look at the, a, a mock draft today. They got four guys in the first round, uh, all freshmen uh, at Duke. Talent is not an issue with this Duke squad. We thought all year that maybe maturity was going to be an issue. Has that changed for you when you watch these young guys for Duke over the course of this run? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think all we can do right now is just look at it's what's staring us in the face. And that's, you know, all four of these teams are clearly playing really, really well. Uh, and Duke's won 13 out of 15. They lost that North Carolina game, and then they lost to Virginia Tech in the uh, ACC tournament. But they're, you know, they're playing extremely well. And when you have that much talent, when it starts to click, it doesn't take it long to all fit together. But they've got great balance. I mean, obviously, Ben Carroll's a, a tremendous player, but, uh, you know, but then Mark Williams and they've got Rhodes, they've got Griffin. They've just got a lot of talent out there, and they've got the best coach that's ever been in the game. Villanova and Kansas, the Jayhawks – trailed Miami by six at halftime in the Elite Eight. And then that game turned into a victory, which was the largest margin of victory in an Elite Eight game since 1992. Tell us about the Jayhawks from your perspective and how they can just turn the faucet on and off seemingly during a halftime break. 
Yeah, well, and it's kind of been how they've played all year long. You know, they haven't been, even though they won the re- or they split the regular season title with Baylor and they won the conference tournament, they haven't been the dominant Kansas team that everybody all year thought was going to be in the Final Four with a chance to win it. But uh, and that Miami game reflects that clearly, as you mentioned, down six at half, and they win the second half, forty-seven to fifteen. <laughs> uh, but again, a really talented player. Agbaji's, a, you know, has been an All-American all year long. They get Remy Martin, the Arizona State transfer, off the bench, who's really given them a good offensive punch. I think the difference for Kansas is uh, they're the, to me, they're the best defensive team in the field, uh, and they're also the one team that likes to utilize their bench and play with some depth. So. Um, you know, you get this far, you're really good, but they're, they're as talented as any of the other three. There's no doubt about that. It may be a bit of an exaggeration here, but is, is Villanova the most fundamentally sound group uh, with Jay Wright and, and how they do everything a little – they do everything well. They're great in some areas, but they do everything well, and you've got to be sound in, in facing them no matter the score. Yeah, it's a good observation. I think they're as fundamentally sound as any team anywhere, uh, you know, not just in this Final Four. I mean, it's uh, – they have a real clear identity of, of what they want on both ends of the floor. Uh, their performances reflect that. I mean, they're a top 20 team on both ends of the floor. They don't waste any possessions. Uh, you're going to have to beat Villanova. We know that. Uh, I don't think they're as talented as these other three teams, but Kansas isn't going to beat Villanova unless Kansas plays well. And then, uh, you know, if Villanova's in the championship game, you're going to be able to same th- say the same thing. But, you know, use, losing Justin Moore is um, – that's a really tough blow uh, – I think we all think Gillespie's probably their best player, but more is uh, even Jay Wright called him their MVP earlier this week. And to lose a guy like that at this time of the year, um, that's going to be pretty tough to overcome. And lost him with 40 seconds left in the game. Yeah. I think just really terrible. And uh, if any program could withstand a loss like that, I feel like it's Villanova. Uh, but I'm with you, Coach, and I was going to ask you about that. To me, I mean, you're, le- you're losing your second leading scorer. Uh, with no time to really adjust going into a game against Kansas, that feels like it for Villanova going into this matchup with Kansas after that. Did you feel the same when you saw the news about Moore? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be surprised if they can can overcome it. But at the same time, their style lends itself to being able to just plug and play. And uh, because they are so good on both ends of the floor, I think their style can still win out. Um, they're they're still a tremendously talented team, uh, and and like I said, they 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 are as um, they are as true to themselves as anybody in the tournament before it started, or definitely uh, now with just four teams left. Casey Alexander has been our guest. Do you lean uh, Kansas Duke in a final on Monday? I like Kansas. Uh, I think the Duke Carolina game is a 50, 50. Uh, I really do. I mean, I, I, you know, in some ways you'd love to see the magical run continue and, and all that goes along with coach K <laughs> uh, playing it out this way. Uh, but, you know, we learned that Carolina doesn't care a whole lot about that at this point in time. Uh, they, they would love one more shot to, um, to spoil the party. Things going well at Belmont. Uh, let us know how, how everything's picked up and uh, the excitement around Missouri Valley and, and the move there this fall. Yeah, we're really excited. You know, it's going to be a great move for us. Uh, it's going to make things more difficult. My job got a lot harder. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it's the appropriate step for not only our program, the entire athletic department, uh, and the school as a whole. I mean, the Valley has got a ton of tradition um, from a, for a long, long, long time, and um, we're excited to be a part of that. It'll we'll have to elevate what we're doing, um, but it's going to be going to be really good. Three words for you: multi bid league. 
There you go. Congratulations on that. Uh, that's that's, a, that's a, first, a first for you. But joining that is definitely a step up. So congrats. Well, it's not an automatic uh, by no. any stretch. But if we continue to play well and do what we've done in the past, then it should create more opportunities for us. Coach, thank you as always for the perspective uh, and the knowledge here. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. We, we, uh, anything you need, let us know. Sounds great. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for asking. All right. Casey Alexander there. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Casey Alexander underscore. And uh, the Bruins program is on Twitter at Belmont MBB. That's a man who knows how to set up a backdrop for video purposes also. In his for office sure. with the and Belmont work, logo and the Belmont shirt. mic or whatever it might be. Yeah, that was, that was well done. I, I, I appreciate that now. In a Zoom world... When people know how to set up the backdrop and the audio for it, I'm, I'm appreciative. Roger, Roger Goodell, uh, commissioner of the NFL, speaking to media at the NFL owners' meetings, will let you know uh, and give you the highlights of what you should know uh, from some of the bullet points coming out of that conversation. That's next to Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Armando Salguero of Outkick.com has done a great job live tweeting the Goodell Presser in Florida in Palm Beach, where the NFL owners' meetings is taking place. Here, here's what you need to know from Goodell's media availability, uh, which just wrapped up. Goodell says if, if Brown's quarterback, Deshaun Watson, was ever going to be placed on the commissioner's exempt list, it means the NFL already has enough to consider him in violation of the personal conduct policy, so he would just receive the conduct penalty. In other words, any sanctions against Deshaun Watson will come all at once. Uh, to rephrase it, it means he's not going to be considered for the commissioner's exempt list. They're not going to place him on an exempt list and then wait for things to happen. They're going to allow the legal process to work its way out or way through, and then they will determine either suspension or any type of punishment or fine for that and potentially nothing. I mean, it's, it's either that or, or it's no penalty and they'll move on from there. Um, the investigation is ongoing, according to Goodell, about Watson. My follow-up question to Roger Goodell, if I were there and able to ask a follow-up, is Is this a result of you learning from prior mistakes by issuing suspensions or discipline before the legal process yeah, went maybe. through? Because maybe. this is a reversal of uh, – this. Is, he's reversing course here. They haven't waited around for the legal process to play out in other cases. I'm fine the way they're handling it right now by allowing things to play out. I'm totally fine with that, but there's no acknowledgement that this is different than Roger Goodell and league disciplinary issues of the past. He says a joint disciplinary officer will make decisions on the outcome of the investigation of Deshaun Watson from the NFL perspective we're speaking of here. And he says there's no time frame for that being completed. Goodell says there is no timetable for Stephen Ross and the Dolphins relative to tanking and the integrity of the game. They're looking into that investigation. Uh, he says the NFL investigation into the Dolphins' integrity of the game allegations, finds if it finds violations, those violations will be made public. 
And he went through and, and said that the, the NFL had less injuries than they did a year ago. Health uh, and safety. Health and safety. Always important. Health and safety. Um, and the, the, maybe the biggest piece of news, the NFL just concluded their first NFL league meeting in three years in person, and they did so in the state of Florida. He's not saying that. I'm making that observation. Uh, we'll recap all of that with Armando Salguero later this week. And I will add, he, uh, he also threw in there, Goodell did, or actually one of his media relations uh, guys chimed in with the answer. Locker rooms will be open for media to access players and interviews and those type things. Locker rooms will be open post-game and during the week. Um, that is um, something we haven't seen in a couple of years. One other story that we will talk more about moving forward, this coming from uh, Mike Florio had the initial report. Brian Flores, his lawsuit, there will be two new plaintiffs. The lawyers have been promising this for a while, but there will be two new plaintiffs added to it. We don't know who those plaintiffs are, but the report saying these two plaintiffs will bring multiple new teams into play in the lawsuit about discrimination with coaching hiring across the league. So something to keep an eye on. Probably going to break at some point this week and something you can hear about right here at Outkick 360. Yesterday, we promised Brandon Wright on the show today. He's actually rescheduled for tomorrow. So we look forward to talking with the Tar Hill and the 12-year NBA vet. He'll be in studio with us breaking down the final four NFL headlines and much more. PK will be back from Florida for tomorrow's show, primary complaint, all the headlines. Hope you'll join us across the Outkick Network. We get underway at 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern for Outkick 360.